Hey, y'all. Hi. Hi. Good to be here with you. Today, I want to talk a little bit about fear. There's a lot to be afraid of in the world today. I'm terrified of so many things. So many. There's actual real threats to democracy, to the planet, to our livelihoods. And then there's the the fears that you know, seem very personal to me. The fears of not being a good enough mom, not being a good enough wife, not being a good enough daughter and friend. I mean, it's just, it's all the not, not being good enoughs. Mostly, I think we all have a fear of stability of no, or of instability, of not being taken care of, of, of not having security. For me, it's my, my biggest fear is job security. There was a story in Esquire the other day about how novelists essentially have never had it worse in the history of novelists. How it's just how, how it, this is this is the low point for the profession, to which I you know freaked out immediately because of, yeah that's that's a real that's a real kick in the nuts, um, and told my husband I was going to switch careers and started looking into being an electrician. A plumber, I've been told that there is good money in, in plumbing and plumbing supplies in particular. There was an ad yesterday while I was watching the footballs uh, about becoming a pilot. And, and Nick told me I was too old for that. And I told him to shut his goddamn mouth. And then, you know, I started freaking out about money the way we, we always freak out about money when we freak out about our careers and our professions. And I was very vocal about this. I, I talked about it out loud. And what do you know? What do you know? My phone started listening to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then when I was on my endless social media scroll that I promised myself that I won't do before bedtime, I just I just happened upon a, a new financial influencer who has never been in my feed before, but Instagram thinks I need to see. And this post was like, are you terrified about the future? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I fucking am. And it's like, do you have enough money for retirement? And I'm like, I don't know. Probably not. Can you afford to send your kids to college? Not now. Isn't college like a gazillion dollars? And so then I go on this dark rabbit hole and I click and I click and I click. And this person tries to sell me a course for $500. There are a lot of financial influencing charlatans out there right now. And yet, if I'm a person that's worried about retirement accounts and kids' college funds, am I going to click? Am I maybe going to buy this course from this person who is definitely not even a certified accountant? This is probably a dude who lives in his mom's basement. But I might buy it. I might. It felt a little like entrapment. It really did. The truth is, I do want to talk to someone, someone very smart about investing and what to do with my money and whether or not I should just quit being a novelist and a podcaster and go be a person that sells pipes and faucets and things like that. And I also want to talk to someone about my fear. I do. Luckily, I happen to know a personal finance guru who also just wrote a book about fear. Yeah. Yeah. It's a two for one here. A two for one. Because I don't know anything about plumbing. 
I've got to keep writing books, guys. I've got to keep doing it. Hello, Joe. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. Will you tell our audience who you are? Hi, audience. I'm Farnoosh. Sometimes people call me Noosh. I'm a personal finance journalist. I'm an Iranian-American. I've known Joe for over maybe 15 years. A long time. Long time. And I have uh, a financial education platform. I write books. I host a podcast called So Money. I speak. I do all sorts of things uh, in the realm of um, personal finance, and I love it. And I'm so excited to be here with you, Joe. Well, and I, first off, I love that you love it because I don't love it. I want to love it more. <laughs> I want to be better at it as an independent woman in the world who wants to build wealth and do good things with my money. But I'm just constantly at a loss for what to do. And that terrifies me, which is why I do want to shamelessly plug your new book really, (laughs) really quickly. It just came out and it is called A Healthy State of Panic. Tell us just a little bit about it because I think it's exactly what I need. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that you are terrified. A lot of us won't even admit that. And I wanted to write a book that this is my fourth book. I've written many financial books, and this has been now 10 years after my last book, more or less. It was intentionally supposed to be a memoir, a sloppy memoir. (laughs) My editor said, I feel like there's a pattern here where you have had a really interesting relationship with fear as you have worked your way through your financial life as well as your career and your relationships. What Mm -hmm. do you think it is about fear and you that's so interesting? And I said, you know, I think I just really appreciate fear. I kind of love fear. Fear has been my friend. And she said, well, that's unusual. So I think we should dig into that. And then, so I have this very personal relationship with fear, which we can get into, but professionally, uh, having worked in personal finance for over two decades, I feel as though the emotional underpinning of so many of our money questions is fear. Mm. You know, whether it's because we're scared to, we're scared to uh, know how to figure it all out. We're scared to invest. We're scared to ask for a raise. It is the fear that, uh, and our lack of having a real good emotional intelligence with that fear that prevents us from being able to use it constructively. And that's what a healthy state of panic is all about. It's like fear is normal. Fear is a part of our lives and we should be thankful for it. But you know, there's a right and a wrong way to use fear. And I want to teach us how to be more intentional with this emotion to use it as a tool to get us closer to the next decision that we need to make in these high stakes moments that involve our money and our careers. I love that. I love that. Let's get, let's all get comfortable with our fear today. Let's just, let's embrace it. Let's love it. Let's order it a cheese plate and let it eat all the cheese. (laughs) I, I want to get more into the fear, but first I want to talk about something that does freak me out that does I think what what inspires a lot of my fear around personal finance is on the social medias which we talk about most of the time on this podcast when I'm not talking about my own book which I'm desperately afraid of launching into this world the Sicilian inheritance everyone pre-order it now uh, <laughs> is I get a lot of a lot of conflicting advice 
on social media. Mm -hmm. I feel like financial influencers are now a thing. Are they a thing? Is that a is that a category of influencer? It is. It is a a phenomenon. And I've been in this and you know, you and I we started out in the trenches of analog media. Like oh God, we did not yeah. have Yes. Yes. Do you remember like just uh I, I I would write things in a notebook. I would go to you know like before iPhones and before Facebook and all that. I and not to discredit, I think there are a lot of great financial influencers. I think that for me, I don't want to carry that title. I think I'd prefer to say I'm a financial educator. I'm also an author. I'm a journalist. I think that if you're only hanging your hat on this title of being influential online, but you don't have anything else to your credit, I wonder about taking advice from you, to be honest. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And so, well, how do we tell? How do we even tell who is qualified to give us advice or not? Mm -hmm. I see I see a lot of people that are the, the fire people, the, you know, save a lot now, retire early. And they seem to have no credentials mm -hmm. except for the fact that they've spent no money in the past three years. <laughs> yeah. Someone said the expression financial anorexia. Uh, it's like, yeah, I, I, I think, look, um, I really appreciate personal stories in personal finance. I think it's important to learn and see how others do what they do with their money. It doesn't mean that that has to be what you do. I would be concerned if somebody in the FIRE movement who didn't you know, who maybe was someone who did it. I mean, there's many, many ways to achieve financial independence. Retire early is the acronym that we're talking about. And I think that's even evolved. But when it first became a thing, it was very much a count your pennies and sit, stay at home and, and don't, you know, basically spend any money, go on a spending diet and all the things. And I think, um, you know, it was very interesting they did make a lot of money. They did get themselves out of debt. They did maybe technically retire at 45 or what have you, but that's their story. And that's not to, me to mean that that's how everyone should do it or that's even the best way to do things. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting. I mean, I like to, I like to, I'm curious. I like to know how people do things and I don't ever say, okay, well, that has to be me. I think you have to have the wherewithal to go, okay, well, I'm going to maybe take an aspect of that and experiment that in my own life but to think that I have to do it exactly and copy paste exactly how you've done it. And therefore, that's how I'm going to be successful. I think that's a dangerous mindset and a dangerous way of doing and being. So I don't I don't recommend that. And I think it's, again, to your point, the Internet has gotten so, so busy and so loud and so conflicting. It's hard to kind of cut through the noise to figure out what should I do. And I think for me, if I'm going to follow anybody online and any thought leadership or expertise, I want to know what are their credentials. In addition to their personal story, that's important. I, I'd love a, I'd love an expert who's been there, done that. Mm -hmm. you know, that's how I kind of, I think, was able to differentiate when I started out because I wasn't trying to pretend I knew everything, but I was saying I'm, at the time, I was 20-something living in New York, trying to rub two pennies together. Here's what I've learned as a financial journalist, but also as a person who's trying to build wealth for herself. And I kind of stayed in that lane. I didn't purport to be someone I wasn't, but being that I was also in the trenches with my 
audience was an asset. I wasn't their dad's CPA, for example, and that um, with unrelatable advice, and it was felt like you were being talked down to. So I'm all for that personality-driven financial advice, but there has to be credentials. I think there should be a body of work that precedes that or is in conjunction with that. That's me. Totally. Well, one of the things that I do think is awesome is that social media and digital media generally has taken financial advice out of the purview of what I like to call the old rich men club. And so Mm -hmm. we get to hear advice from so many different kinds of people who are not just old rich men, which I think is awesome, right? That's what we want. We want to be able to, whoever you are, wherever you are in your life stage, however you identify, to look out into the world of personal finance and see yourself represented because seeing is believing. When you see someone like you who's had a similar narrative, a similar lens through which they've seen the world, I think to know that that person can get out of debt, that person can build a business, that person can invest successfully. I think you're like, yeah, so sign me up too. Sign me up too. I'm here for this. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here for all of it. Are there any financial influencers who you follow, who you love? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I love Mrs. Dow Jones, Haley Sachs. I, Wait, uh, I, I don't know anything about Mrs. Dow Jones. <laughs> well, let me tell you. She is a she's a zillennial financial expert, so she mm. speaks more to that sort of Z- Gen Z, Gen uh, Y, in you know overlapping, I guess twenty something uh, mm-hmm. young person who's like trying to figure out. And she does a really cool thing where she brings financial advice and tips, and really brings in a lot of pop culture and plays with the zeitgeist really well, you know, and she knows her audience really well. She doesn't purport to be like an investment expert or a tax expert, but she mm-hmm. she's like a curious person who herself too has gone through her own journey with finance and also getting laid off and everything. And so I think um, she brings a like a real honesty to the space mm-hmm. and it's fun. I think that she has programs. She's newer to the space. So, um, and I think that's okay. I was new to the space at one point too, and people took me seriously. I don't think like your longevity um, should uh, discount you or not. Like, I just think that you are where you're at and your audience should know that. So maybe mm-hmm. while you're following Mrs. Dow Jones, maybe you're also following others for other things. But I think that's kind of what we're getting to, right? Like you want to create a portfolio of people to follow for different things. I don't think there's any more like one person knows everything. This is my Messiah. And I mean, there are people like that, which I don't, you know, mm-hmm. like the Dave Ramsey followers. And I think that's um, that's a whole other episode. And I'm happy to come that's back for that. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> yes. But, but I a whole learned... other series. This... Fine. I'll make another podcast. Uh, I love what you just called it. <laughs> portfolio of people that you follow, mm-hmm. much in the way that you create a portfolio for your money, I think that you should curate very highly who you follow and why. And also, I think it's very important to ask, why do you follow this person? Why do I follow this person? Or is that or just... why? What, when you're creating your portfolio, like, why do you follow someone? Oh, right. I follow so, them because their advice is good, or I follow them because they make me feel good. Yeah, and that, that's all valid. And I think maybe they 
are educating me in a way where I feel seen. I feel like the information is accessible. I think that they're not trying to just sell to me. Mm -hmm. So here's a red flag. Here's a real red flag. There are a lot of people in the thought leadership space, in the influencer space, I should say, not thought leadership. Because I think thought leader, I think like a TED talker or yeah. and an author. Um, influencer is sort of its own lane. And I think like there are many people who know very well how to use social media as a tool to get you to buy their shit. Yeah. And that is, an, is a giant X for me. Like if your background is in marketing and sales, and now suddenly you're really into health and wellness or personal finance or beauty or whatever it is, mental health. And like everything about you is like, sign up for my this, go to my website, get my course, buy mm -hmm. my things, go to my shop site. I feel like that is just, and there are people like that, but mm -hmm. that's a, that's a really great way to I think differentiate who are the people who are genuinely there to educate. And of course, everybody should make money and everybody is entitled to have profitable business plans. But I think that if they're, if it seems to be like 80% of what they do, someone said to me a good, a good ratio is like, you know, 80% education, 20% selling. And again, it doesn't mean that like making money is bad, but as as the recipient of that influencer's information, I want to feel like I'm being supported and helped and it's coming from, you know, a pretty a place that's not biased, right? Mm -hmm. A place that's not biased because they don't they're not just feeding me information to put me into a funnel to get me to buy their whatever it is. Yeah, um, the course. There's a lot of course selling these days. On the social media? Courses, memberships, member hubs. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't really want to buy a course. I once bought a sleep training course just in the middle of the night when I was real fucking tired and, and just sleep deprived and crazy, essentially. And it was the worst thing that I've ever purchased in my entire life. It was literally just some other sleep deprived woman on a video <laughs> talking at me about how they once got their baby to sleep. Oh, okay. Let's give her some money. I, g I gave her money. I gave her too much money. Um, so, Mrs. Dow Jones, who else should we be following for good, for useful um, financial mm -hmm. advice? And there's different kinds of categories too, right? Like, right now, I'm oh, trying Oh, sure. To yeah. So the people that I really like because they've been here, here's for me, this is like the Farnoosh formula and Don't bring it. these are yeah. my, th these are also like the peers that I've had in the space for a while. We've kind of grown up together and they've endured. They haven't had like, a, they haven't burnt out. They haven't been canceled. <laughs> they've been consistent in their advice. They haven't changed their tunes. And honestly, it's okay to change your tune because the world changes. You should evolve with the times. But in terms yeah. of like- they gave bad advice and now they give good advice. I think I like to follow Tiffany Aliche, who's the budget nista. She's mm. got a best-selling book, New York Times best-selling book. She's been doing this for, I think, at least, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Um, Ramit Sethi, who is the mm. author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Mm -hmm. He and I kind of started at the same time. He has a extensive body of work. He's very straightforward. Um, He's a personality. They do all personalities too. Like I think at the end of the day, you choose who you like and that's 
fine, but also make sure that they have some credentials. And these folks definitely do. I like, um, gosh, I like Joe Sal Cihai, who is oh. a podcast called Stacking Benjamins. He's great. He's also been in this game for a very long time and he's consistent. And I can maybe send your audience a list after this. I can put yes, it in your newsletter. If you haven't subscribed to Joe's newsletter, do, and we'll put that in there. Yes, yes. Well, we're, this will also be on the Over the Influence Substack. Time for a quick break. When we get back, we're going to confront my own fear of talking about and dealing with money. As I've gotten a little bit older, a little bit older, had a few babies, I've noticed that my body is starting to smell different. Not necessarily bad, not all the time at least, but but different. And so I've recently, on the recommendation of one of my really good college girlfriends, been using Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. Have you guys heard of this? It's great. It's a deodorant like no other. It was created by an OBGYN who discovered that BO isn't just an underarm thing. It can be an all-over-your-body thing, an unexpected places thing. And so she developed a pH-optimized deodorant that is clinically proven to block odor everywhere. Not just in your armpits, but in your private areas, your feet, just all over, in all of the parts. And the best part is, no matter where you use it, Lumi is proven to keep working for up to 72 hours. That's a lot of time. That's three days of odor control. And that is kind of a miracle, to be honest. This is coming from someone who only remembers to shave one of their legs at a time. And there's a special offer happening right now. New customers can get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with our exclusive code, which is INFLUENCE. INFLUENCE. It's always going to be INFLUENCE, guys. And for a limited time, returning customers can get $5 off their next purchase of $30 or more. Just use the code INFLUENCE at lumideodorant.com. Now, if you need help spelling Lumi, I've got you. It is L-U-M-E deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com. I've been using it. I love it. It makes my life a whole lot easier because are you ever that person who forgets to put on the deodorant in the morning? And then you're walking around and you're like, what is that smell? Is it me? It's me. It's almost always me. But deodorant that lasts for three days, that is pretty amazing. Again, the special offer is that new customers can get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with our exclusive code INFLUENCE. Lumi's starter pack is pretty perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes. I personally really love the deodorant wipes because they fit in right in my purse. And if I'm just on the go and I'm like, oh, weird, there's like a strange smell happening. I'm just going to take this wipe out of my purse and it looks like a baby wipe. So you have no idea what I'm doing. There's also free shipping, which is great. I always love the free shipping. And returning customers can get $5 off their next purchase of $30 or more. Just use the code influence at lumideodorant.com. We are back with Farnoosh Tarabi, personal finance expert and the author of the new book, A Healthy State of Panic. I do have a confession to make 
before we chat with Farnoosh some more. I don't like talking about money. I'm afraid of talking about what to do with my money. I'm afraid of talking about whether my family will have enough in the future. But what is enough exactly? And when it comes to my own money, I'm essentially a Sicilian grandmother who would stick money under a mattress or bury it under the barn if I could. And I know that's probably not the right move. And being terrified isn't the answer either, which is why I wanted to talk to Farnoosh about my actual fears. What is a healthy state of panic? What is the what is the balance mm-hmm. between the good panic and the shitty panic that makes you not be able to get out of bed in the morning? Right. Well, we are so conditioned to see fear as a bad emotion that we've been hardwired and and we've been conditioned to when we experience fear, when we feel fear, to assume immediately that something is wrong with us. And that this emotion has no place in our lives. And so what do we do? We we hide. We run away. We try to fight it. We try to do all these things to try to like get it out of our lives. And in my experience, any emotion that you try to shove down or attack only ends up coming back and sometimes yeah. in a bigger way. So yeah. that's not the healthy panic. That's and, and that is a lot of how people typically relate to fear. So this book is about what if when the next time fear shows up, you don't actually do anything? You might have a neutral relationship with fear. I want us to get to maybe the next step, which is actually an appreciative relationship with fear. But let's just say you don't do anything and you say, okay, fear is here. It probably has something to teach me. It has shown up for a reason. This is all very rational because fear That's what it does. It shows up for a reason. And this isn't a new phenomenon. This has been the case since the beginning of time. You and I would not be podcasting here if it hadn't been for fear. It protects us. Right. right. And so to have a conversation with fear is the first step in having a healthier relationship with this panic and this fear. You and I are very good at asking questions. So the book, though, doesn't assume everybody is and gives everybody prompts to mm-hmm. what to ask fear when it shows up. And specifically, I go through nine different fears mm-hmm. because I don't think that it's also right to just talk about fear as this monolith. I think yeah. that when in any in any realm of life, like when you can distill something and give it a name, it becomes much more tangible and approachable. So I talk about the fear of rejection, the fear of loneliness, the fear of missing out, FOMO. The fear of uncertainty, the fear of exposure, the fear of money, the fear of failure, the fear of endings, which was a really, really hard chapter to write. And then the last chapter is the fear of losing your freedom. I picked these fears because I think we've all been very familiar with them throughout our lives. They they show up constantly. They're the juggernaut fears. And I've also personally navigated through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and because this book is... Not exactly a money book, but it, money the fear of money is central to the book. I feel like all these other fears sort of also show up when we're afraid of money. We're also afraid of uncertainty. We're also afraid of failure. We're afraid of losing our freedom. So it was kind of like these were the, they're all within a similar ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And fears don't show up in silos. Like this is not to say that when you're fearing uncertainty, you're not fearing anything else. But I made a I made it my job as I'm writing the book to give each fear a very distinct look and feel and explanation. And also, I want to say to everybody that when you feel fear, um, it's completely understandable. 
you know, like that, that too, that, that acceptance is also the healthy way to work with your fears. When you ask for your questions, and I have all the prompts in the book, you learn things about yourself, what you want to protect, your values, where the fear may have come from. That information is gold. It's absolute gold. When I say when fear shows up, it's almost like a mirror. It's showing you who you are and what you care about. Like you told me earlier in the podcast, I'm afraid of, what would you say that uh, my book coming out, yeah. my next book coming out, The Sicilian? The Sicilian Inheritance. Um, which, which is a lot about money. That's Sicilian inheritance. It's also, it's a lot about money fears about a woman who loses her business and is terrified that she can't support herself and her daughter. And it's, I feel like I combined all of my middle-aged money fears into a delicious adventure with a lot of Sicilian food. Mm. You know? oh, I'm there you for know? it. I'm so there. I'm ordering, pre-ordering several copies. But you said you're afraid of that book coming out in the world. And I think that that's so honest. And what it's really saying is that you care so deeply about this book's success. Your fear is inextricably connected to your desire for this book to be successful. And of course, you would want that for your book. So let's go there. You know, let's talk about how you can protect this book from having... Um, allowing this book rather to have the entry into the world that you want it to have. And as we know, as authors, there's a lot that you cannot control, but there's a lot that you can. And mm -hmm. I've seen you already do it. You're telling your audience about the book and not being afraid or shameful of that, which it may seem so easy to the ear, like, oh, Joe's just talking about her book again. But I'll have everyone know, like, there's a lot of, especially as women authors, and honestly, as women business owners, we are hesitant to talk up our offerings. Because, and you can talk to Elise Lonin about this, who wrote about um, all of the seven deadly sins and how women have been sort of targeted um, mm -hmm. around these sins. And like, it's never been acceptable for a woman to want for things because it's considered greedy or gluttonous. Yes. And so yeah. to want for your business to be successful, to want for your book to sell, to want to make money, that's not considered feminine. Or right yep. as a woman. So um, I applaud you. Anyway, I'll just say I applaud you and that that is you taking control of the situation to protect your book and that you got there because you recognize that you have a fear around this and fear is going to get you to do what you can. It does. It does. And I, lo I love Elise Lonin. And I, it's true. When women promote ourselves, I think we're often seen as greedy or pushy and you know, I think about not that a liked. lot. Not liked. Not liked. And I actually watched this clip of Arnold Schwarzenegger on on the Instagram. <laughs> I think he was on Tim Ferris. I mean just you know, two dudes talking to each other. But uh he was he was on a podcast with another guy and his book his book just came out and he was saying what he was saying was actually awesome. He was saying that in the 80s and 90s it wasn't cool for movie stars to sell themselves, to sell their products. And he never felt that way because he felt really lucky to get to do mm. what he was doing. And so he would do whatever it took to sell his movies or mm -hmm. his products and to put himself out there. And he said that made him seem very uncool to the Hollywood elite. But if you, if you mm. want to 
get the creative things that you've made that you care so much about into the world, you have to sell. You have to sell like Arnold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely within the artist community and also the entrepreneur community. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested that he's saying that as a man, that he felt that way. I think that's interesting. Um, because I always think that it's mostly the women who get the backlash. But mm -hmm. interesting that like a muscular man like Arnold could also be poo-pooed on for for selling. Yeah. I'm not a business person. My expertise is in creating. It's not in selling. And it's like, as an author, I will say, like, I'm not a, I, I don't consider myself an artist. But as a creator of of content and books, I, I say, I think that, gosh, you know, books don't take, they, they take a long time to write, like three years. And it's not mm -hmm. just time. It's it's not your, your time. It's time away from your family. It's it's a lot of sacrifices, a lot of trade-offs. So I always remember that when I'm, if there's even a part of me that's like, maybe you shouldn't like talk up your book again. It's like, no, because this is part of the success. This is, the success is not just done when you write the book. Like if you, and, and why wouldn't I want, I mean, I'm proud of my book. You know, I'm proud of my work. I want people to experience it. Like why else did I write it? And we live in an extremely scattered world, an extremely, um, you know, sort of it, like there's so many you have. To, I, I think I read like you have to promote something seven times to one person for them to remember it and like realize that it's a thing. It's true. It's true. Uh, you really do have to talk yourself up. And it's not a skill that I naturally have. It's one that I've honed and figured out how to have but i'm still not comfortable with it yeah well speaking of not being comfortable but doing things uh, a friend of mine alex carter who wrote alexandra carter who wrote the book ask for more oh. she said if you're not afraid when you're asking for more money and i think this also relates to like promoting yourself if you're not afraid you're not doing it right you know if you're doing it because if you're so comfortable, if you're if it comes so naturally to you, you think you have no worries. Like if I'm going to ask for a raise and I'm like so confident, it probably means that I'm lowballing myself. <laughs> you know, because I'm, especially because as a woman, I think we undersell ourselves in the workplace. We undervalue our contributions in the workplace because the workplace has historically undervalued us. So like we're just going with the current. But she says that when you're coming up with that number you know, not to, it should be rooted in some data and some research, but to push the envelope. And if it makes you scared, that's okay. That's actually a sign that maybe you're warmer to getting the amount that you're entitled to. Huh. I love that. Idea. More on the money. More on mm -hmm. the money. Like, I, I mean, think about it. Like if I'm going to, I have a coaching program and I, it's the first cohort I charged what I thought would definitely fill the group. And it did because I didn't price it super high. I didn't even price it more than competitors because I wanted to, it was my first cohort. I really wanted to do a great job, get great results, get everyone being happy, then use those testimonials for the next one and raise the prices, which I will. Um, but I'm a little scared to do it, but I think I have now a foundation to be able to do that. I have road tested results. I have many clients who are happy. I have their testimonials. Um, and it's going to be even better the second time because you learn a lot the first time about what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I think that 
again, like ask for more, be scared, but also remember that you have probably a lot more credit to that ask than you're giving yourself credit for. Time for a quick break. Be right back. So you were just on the Today Show, and I want to I want to tell you how fabulous you looked on the Today Show. Thank you, thank you. What 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 advice were you giving out on the Today Show? Right. So you know it wasn't your typical book segment. They did give a shout out to the book in the beginning, and then we focused on money myths as Ooh. part of the education of the segment, which I pref- would have preferred if they had called it money money fears or financial fears, but we, I was able to weave it back into the book because I think that money myths are sometimes the sort of lies that we carry with us into our financial lives because we are afraid, because we're afraid of disappointing people. We're afraid of doing things that aren't status quo. We're afraid of facing our own potential. And so we talked about myths like the fear, oh, actually the myth of financial overwhelm, like money's too overwhelming. I'll never learn it. I'm not smart enough. I don't have time. And it's like, you know, that sometimes is something that we pick up as kids, as young adults in a world where there is no financial literacy and there's a huge system, aka the financial world system, that's telling you, you need to just pay us to make this easy for you. And, you know, I said, on the air, I said, if anyone is telling you that you can't do this, they're probably trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just end that myth. And I said, at the end of the day, managing your money well, very basically, it comes down to living within your means, paying off your debt responsibly, investing. Like, I don't, we can get into it more, but that's it's not complicated. I get that it takes time and we all have busy lives, but there are many resources that can help you. There's free resources. There's technology. We talked about, for example, this really pervasive myth of self-worth equaling net worth, which is, you know, also fear-driven because I think it really speaks to our fears of facing what we're capable of. And, you know, we are a culture, again, that glorifies the wealthy and the rich as being smarter, harder working. But what we don't remember is that so much of what factors into someone being rich is privilege and luck. And when you remember that, maybe you won't be so hard on yourself when you look at your bank account that it's not just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Sometimes it's about who you are as a person, the family you were raised in, you know, like all the privileges that you've had. And this is a very, troubling myth because, again, it prevents us from ever feeling like we can do it, like we're just never going to get behind ahead of the financial eight ball. And so we talked about these myths, but I tried to kind of bring it back to these like fears too that we experience and myths and fears are two peas in a pod. And it was great. We hopefully will do another segment again soon, but um, quite a privilege to be on the Today Show to launch a book. I know. So exciting. Pretty special. Pretty special. Yes. Pretty special. Like, I, did, I think it's a big deal to never lose sight of those, like, things that are very exciting, right? Mm-hmm. I will always think it's exciting that someone wants me to be on the television. My kids do not think it is exciting at all. They, I, was, I did a local news segment 
the other day with my friend Nydia Han, who is an anchor here at 6ABC. My kids saw it. And I was like, look at that. Isn't that cool? And they're like, oh, it's just you and Miss Nydia again. <laughs> talking, well, about, talking about stuff. How old are your kids now? Oh, my God. I'm so in the thick of it. They are six, four, and ten months. Oh, my gosh, Joe. Yeah, six and four. And then to add a 10-month-old, woo. I know. All of it is hard. So we have to take our small wins and we have to be, we have to just enjoy it. We have to enjoy the ride. Because it's also going to be a short, I mean, it's, the days are long, right? They Mm -hmm. say, but the years are short. Mm -hmm. That's true, but it's also long right now. (laughs) College is really far away. (laughs) College is, I mean, it's not like we'll be able to afford college anyway, because it's going to I hope you do, because you're going to be living with them for a long time, if that's not their picture. But no, I I, I think that for our kids, hopefully what I hope for them is that when they get to that age of, like, teenage era of, like, deciding on college, that it doesn't, like, I'm saving for their college, but I'm open to that conversation of, like, I think I want to do something different. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I have so many thoughts on college. Mm-hmm. How I, I can I ask you a really personal question? Mm-hmm. How are you saving for their college now? Like, what do you what do you do? Mm-hmm. I have a one of those five twenty nines. The 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 tax college savings plans. Right, college savings plans for what? There's one for each of them, and that's what I have. That's what we do. Well, oh, okay. that's it. Yeah, oh, we've been saving. We saved since they were born, actually a little bit before they were born. My son, we started a little bit earlier because we, because you can, did you know that? Like if you don't have, if you know you want to have kids or you have a kid on the way and you want to just get a head start, you can open up that 529 and then you just, you make it for yourself and then you change the beneficiary to your kid once they're born. Um, And we were contributing like 500 bucks a month for each kid. And my son, who is nine now has like a hundred thousand dollars saved from that five hundred dollars a month that we've been doing consistently and you know sometimes grandparents contribute and mm-hmm. um that'll pay for like a semester i think uh <laughs> See, that's that's the th- that is that is the thing my friend so yeah like, we have a way to go same same and we we set them up when all three kids were babies and $100,000 is a lot of money. It's so much. You should feel amazing that that's already saved and he's nine years old. And it would have covered every single expense when we went to college. Oh, yeah. Like that. It would have been, been, been a very fun college experience. I think we would have had a lot to eat and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nice apartments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. We would yes. have had to buy used books. It would have been great. Yes. Like it would have been all in. And Tuition was expensive when when we went to college, but it was it did not feel untenable for like it was a stretch, but it was not soul crushing. And, and I want to I, I want to preface that when we first decided how much to contribute to this five two nine, we were of the philosophy that this should cover if all goes well and it goes to the charts, this should cover at least a state college tuition. And we also accounted for the annual eight, nine, 10% increase every year that we're seeing crazily enough in college tuition prices at the state level. My husband and I both went to Penn State. We're like, if they want to go to Penn State, then this should be enough. Mm -hmm. But if they want to go to a fancy private school and it's double, then 
they need to take out loans and grants and maybe find other ways to, because, you know, I think college is important and I want to support our kids, but I don't think that they should never have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. And if there's a college they really, really, really want to go to, but they're $50,000 short, then they're going to have to work for that. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I totally. We'll do the groundwork and then, uh, you know, and then if they get a full scholarship, then I'm taking all their money. I ask everyone this at the end of the episode. What is one thing that you are enjoying being influenced by right now? And it doesn't have to be an influencer. It can just be, I really like this book or this TV show. Mm -hmm. Let me think about it. I follow Feel Good Foodie on Instagram. I've, uh, (laughs) Yumna Jawad, she's a mom of two. And pre-pandemic, I think, or maybe it was at the beginning of the pandemic. I discovered her at least at the beginning of the pandemic when I was desperate for easy recipes. And she is Middle Eastern like I am and just creates these really simple but technically very correct videos on recipes that are healthy but delicious. And she's just cool. And I like her and I've had her on my podcast. We've become friendly over the years. And like literally the other night, <laughs> I was on Instagram and she's showing me how to make these two ingredient muffins that includes bananas and oatmeal. And I just dropped everything and made them at like 11 p.m. at night. And she I does that. Fo- she makes me do that. I just followed yeah, her. She's yes. excellent. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now I want to make those. Were they, were she, they delicious? Everything she makes, they're delicious. She's a good one. I think she's like really, because we've actually, she should come on your show because we taught when we came on, when she came on So Money. We talked about the influencer deals that she does and does not participate in, how she draws a line, things like lucrative deals that she's passed on. Mm -hmm. And she's not in it for the brand deals. You know, she's happy to do them when they make sense, but she's successful in her own right. And she has an audience and a blog and that makes money. So um, she can be very selective about who she works with, as she should. I hope we all can be there, you know, be selective. All right, we are going to say goodbye. Tell everyone where they can find you and where they can ha- where they can buy your wonderful book, A Healthy State of Panic. Thank you, Joe. Well, you can find the book everywhere books are available. I also have a website dedicated to it at a healthystateofpanic.com. My podcast, So Money, is three day three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and I love hanging out in the DMs on Instagram. If you've got a question for me about money, you want to say hi, I'm there usually. Much to my husband's chagrin, I'm a, like on there a lot, and it's because I'm having fun. You guys yeah. are really fun. That's all we've got for today. Buy Farnoosh's book, A Healthy State of Panic. Contribute to your kid's college fund. Don't follow most of the financial gurus on the social media. There are people in the real world that you should probably be talking to about money. And in fact, there are certain things that I think we should be getting in the real world. Medical advice, money advice, probably pet grooming or something like that. You know, you know the things. Go have a great rest of your day. You deserve it.